we sing hallelujah. Why wouldn't we sing hallelujah? The question isn't why we would. The question would be why we wouldn't sing hallelujah. Because the lamb is overcome. What did he overcome? He overcame the grave. And then he turned around and he looked at us and said, follow me. And you'll overcome the grave. In other words, out in front of you is not a dark grave. In front of you, in front of us, in Christ, is life. We sing hallelujah. Let me begin today by asking what I would label three stupid questions. Some of you would say, well, why would you start any different than normal? They're not stupid because they're stupid. They're stupid because the logical conclusion is obvious, or is it? The first question today is this, do you want financial freedom? The second question is, do you want to not worry about money? The third question is, do you want a financially secure future? Now, I'm going to ask you, can you imagine anyone saying no to any of those? Let's pick number two. Do you want to not worry about money? Your answer would be, no, I love worrying about money. I love waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning and wondering how we're going to make the mortgage payment this month. What's the matter with you? You see, they're obvious. They're obvious questions. There are some people, and I, I know some people in this room specifically, there are some people in this room today that already know how to do all three of these. And they're living out yes to all three questions. But I also believe that there are probably people in this room that do not know the answer to those three questions. Not yet. They, there are people in this room that I know for a fact they have financial freedom. They do not worry about money. And their future is financially secure. So I ask you a question today, church. Do you want it? Do you want financial freedom? I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel to you today. I've labeled this Money 101, Sowing Seeds. It is not a sermon about the prosperity gospel. You know me better than that. Some of you have tried it your way a long time. Why don't you consider trying it God's way? What do you got to lose? This is not some Dave Ramsey class, though I think Dave Ramsey has a lot of really good financial advice. That's not what this is. This is going to be Money 101, directly from the Bible. Let me prove this point to you. There are 38 parables in the Bible that are taught by Jesus. 16 of them are how to manage your possessions. Coincidence? In other words, 42% of the parables of Jesus in the Bible are to teach how we are to manage our possessions. I heard John Hagee say years ago, there are four, 500 verses in the New Testament on prayer, 500 verses on faith, and 2,000 verses on how to achieve financial freedom. Would you pay attention? Would you, would you want to know what those verses say? Some of you have tried it your way a long time. I'll say it again. Are you interested in trying God's way? What do you got to lose? Are you ready to listen? Because I'm about to read to you the foundation, what I have labeled the foundation of this Money 101. It is described by Jesus himself. The foundation is found in Luke 6, 38. Here we go. Give, and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I can imagine some guy leaning over to his wife right now and saying, 
I knew he was going to say that. I knew he was going to say that. I knew we should have stayed home today. I told you I was hoping the car didn't start, and it started. But you know, the reality is this. I didn't say that. I read it. Jesus said it. I didn't write that. Jesus did. In fact, some people would say, you know, we go to church and they want to talk about money. You will never come here and be able to say that. In fact, I went back and looked because I wanted to make sure when I stood up here today and talked about money, this. It's been three years since I talked about money in this church specifically. February 2014. Some of you remember that painful experience. So it's been three years since I brought this up. But then I came to this conclusion. If, that, if we truly, through the Word of God, know how to not experience financial freedom, give people a chance to not worry about money, and to know that their future is secure in Christ financially, why would I not talk about it? Why would I not give you that blessing from God's Word to preach the full gospel of Christ? You know what that first word from Jesus said in that verse? Give. I grew up in a church, and I consider myself extremely blessed that I grew up in a church, and I have always heard preachers talk about giving. It wasn't something that people were reluctant to bring up or talk about. But I've always wondered, and I'm sure you do too, how many people actually do it? Really, give. My wife and I started giving to the church when we first got married, and I can tell you that we didn't have much to give in those first few years. I don't really remember when we first started to tithe 10%. And by the, word, it, by the way, if you hear me say the word tithe today, it is just a biblical word for 10%. I'm not really sure exactly, trying to remember back when we decided to give 10%. In fact, I do remember this. I lost my job right after we got married and we charged. Sounds crazy today. We charged groceries at Birdie's store that winter. But I remember that we continued to believe God and we continued to give to His church and to His ministry in the midst of those difficult times. If I remember correctly, we worked our way up to tithing on our net income. And I want you to pay attention to what I just said. We worked our way up to tithing, giving 10% of our net income. That's the take-home pay. But it was in 1988. I was married in 1979. But it was in 1988, right after I'd had this life-changing encounter with God. It's August 1988. I'm in a revival at Corinth Christian Church, and I heard as plain as I've ever heard anything in my life. It wasn't an audible voice from the heavens. The sky didn't open. I just know what he said, and he said this. Either you believe it all or you believe none of it, and tonight you'll decide. Whoa. So that happened to me in 1988. And it was at that time that we decided that we were going to tithe on not our net income, we were going to begin tithing. Because if I'm going to say to you, Lord, I believe all of it, then I have to trust you with all of it. So we made a decision, we're not going to tithe on our net income, we're going to tithe on our gross income, the total amount. Now, I tell you that today, and I'm about to tell you something that originally I wasn't going to do. In fact, I first thought about doing what I'm about to do, and I took it out because I thought it'll sound prideful. And then the more I studied and the more I thought and the more I studied again, I came to this conclusion. To withhold what I'm about to share from you would be wrong. Because I believe that a testimony is powerful. And I don't just believe it because I believe it personally. I believe it because the Word of God says in Revelation chapter 12, Listen to what it says, verse 11. And they have defeated him. Now this is in reference to defeating Satan. They defeated him, number one, by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, by their testimony. And number three, they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Those three things have power to overcome the enemy. Those three things have power to make Satan powerless. 
So why would I not tell you my testimony? So here it comes. When we made that decision in 1988, when I had that encounter with God, when we made that decision to tithe on our gross income, my income from that previous year, 1987, was $23,744. Some of you would think, and I would too if you said that to me, how did you know? You got records that good? No. no. When you're my age, the Social Security group sends you an, a letter and they tell you how much old people made way back when. How many of y'all ever got one of those letters, you old people? So it has on that letter a listing of my income back to when I started work. I'm amazed they keep up with all that. So I took that paper out, and I'm going to tell you, listen, listen carefully, this is not about money. But God had just done something in 1988. He had just called me to give him my all. Either you believe it all or you don't believe any of it. And that night, I walked down in front. I had tears coming out of my eyes and snot coming out of my nose, and I was broken. I mean, I was broken. On that night, I said to God, I give you my life. Everything I am from this day forward, I surrender to you. So in context of that event, in context of that event, we decided we're going to tithe on our gross. And how can I, because here's the deal, how can I give him my life if I'm not willing to trust him with the first fruits of my life, the 10% of my income? So we began to tithe on our gross. I want to show you, I want to tell you what happened. Now remember, the year before I made that decision and was called of God, my annual income was a whopping $23,744. Whoa. And I'm going to read you a successive group of numbers for the next 15 years after we decided to do that the next year I went from 23,000 to 1988 I went to 30,000 I'll just round them off and then I went to 34,000 and then I went to 43,000 and then I went to 46,000 and 51,000 and 53,000 and in 1994 something happened I went to 63,000 it was the first time in my life that I ever got to December and didn't have to pay social security taxes because I had gone over the limit I thought whoa you mean there's a point where they don't take it anymore and then in 1995 I went to 67,000 and then 78,000 and then 96,000 and then 100,000 and then 111,000 and in 2000, I went to 115,000. Now, now, understand something. Those of you who don't know me or know my story, I'm still in the business world. I'm not in the ministry, not yet. But in 2000, I came to Nineveh Christian Church bivocationally. I'm still working a secular job, but I'm coming here as kind of a part-time weekend preacher. That year, I made $115,000. That's been 17 years ago this May. The next year I went to 127,000. I'm still working at a public job, but I'm at Nineveh preaching. And in 2002, I made $212,084 and I quit my job. The reason I gave you all those numbers is to give you my testimony about the power to defeat Satan and to show you something. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus, the Lamb that has overcome, says this. Give, and you will receive. Do you believe him? You see, I had something happen to me. I'm in a revival in August of 1988, and he says, Terry, you believe it all or you don't believe any of it. And I heard it, and I knew it was him. And he says, give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. Jesus said that. I didn't. Do you believe him? 
Jesus says, give and you'll receive. But I want you to notice something that's even bigger than that. You'll receive what? Four times. There's a four-fold return inside that paragraph. Pressed down, that's number one. Shaken together, that's number two. Running over, number three. Poured out, number four. What, what? You're not going to be able to handle this. If I look at the 15 years that followed a decision to listen and believe God, we went from $23,744 to $212,084 in 15 years. Don't tell me he's not faithful. Now, the reason I say that and can say that with confidence is this. I testify today of the power of God, not the power of Terry. I'm going to admit something. In that 15 years that I was in the secular world, 99% of the time, I was clueless. I didn't know how to do most of the things I was asked to do, but I just knew how to do them. 99, let me put it another way, 99.9% .9 of the time I was 99% clueless. And if I look at my 17 years in ministry, I'm going to say it again. 99.9% .9 of the time I'm 99% clueless. So if you think that I think that it is by my brilliance that I was able to accomplish that, I testify to the opposite that I am and was 99.9% .9 clueless. But God isn't. He is faithful. He says, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured out into your lap. Everything that belongs to God gives. I want you to think of creation, the created order. Everything that belongs to God does what? In fact, what is the only thing that belongs to God that doesn't give? dead things anything that belongs to God gives why because God is a giver and God can give more than you can and he can obviously give more than I can and God is a giver let me prove it to you John three sixteen. have you ever read it in this way it says for God loved the world so much that he what say it out loud he gave God's a giver He's a giver. God gave his son. Jesus gave his life. They're givers. It would be real easy for them to be takers, but they're not. They're givers. And if you belong to them, you become a giver. If you are connected to God, you will give because the Father and the Son are givers. So let's just, let's just be practical. What did you get from them, those two givers? Let's start foundationally. What about the breath of life? Where'd you get that? Mom and daddy. Where'd they get it? Mom and daddy. Where'd you get the breath of life? Right now, I look around the room, and at least as of now, most of you are breathing. Where'd you get that? This in and out. If you don't think it is the breath of life, just stop it. You'll die. Can you get it at Walmart? Can you, get it from, can you give it to somebody else? Where do you get this breath of life? We get it from the one who gives. God's a giver. And he's given us the breath of life. When I do a, a wedding, when I do a wedding ceremony, I require that I do pre-marriage counseling. And in my pre-marriage counseling, I focus one session specifically on financial. Why? Because one of the biggest reasons for divorce is money. So I focus on that. I call it the landmines of marriage. But in that, I will say something like this to the couple that wants to get married. I'll say, you don't find it unusual that when you start a house or a life together that you get an electric bill and that you are asked to pay for your electricity. When you woke up this morning, I assure you, when it was single digits, you were happy to have electricity in your house. You don't find it unusual that you have to pay Atmos Energy for natural gas. You don't find that unusual at all. So I advise these new couples wanting to get married, I want you to consider tithing as your air payment. That you're going to acknowledge that the air that you right now are breathing is supplied to you, not by Bluegrass Energy or KU, but it's supplied to you by God. And your tithe is the acknowledgement 
of the air and the thanksgiving that he continued to give it to you this month. Your air payment. But what about that? What, what follows this? What's next? He gives me the air in my lungs, the breath that I breathe. But what about, it's not just that. What about eternal life? Not just that you're going to get to breathe his air until you get 60. Or not just that you get to breathe his air until you get 80 or even 100 or 120. What if he told you he would give you his breath of life forever? What's it worth? What's the value of that? Eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting, forever breathing life. What's it worth? But I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe him? You see, that's the easy way. You can do this the easy way or you can do it the hard way. The easy way is just believe him. Do you believe that everything you have comes from God? Right now, I'm asking a question. Do you believe, do you acknowledge that everything you have comes from God? God gave His Son, and today I ask, what have you given to Him in response to what you have received from Him? What does your offering or your offerings to God look like? And I want to say something clearly. I have no clue what anybody in this church gives. I made it a decision 17 years ago. I never wanted to see the details of any offering. And to this day, I don't know what any individual gives. I see the total. You see the totals in the bulletin every week. But I don't know who gives what, and I have refused to ever look at it. I was afraid that if I ever saw that, it would influence me in some way, and I refused to be influenced by that number. So I don't know. But I can, so I can ask you a question. What does your offering to God look like? Here comes the next real point today. Do you know why it's hard to give? Do you know why it's hard to give? Because giving means you have to let go. Giving means you have to release from your control something. One of my favorite lines from John Hagee is this. He said, giving is the only proof you have that the cancer of greed has not consumed your soul. I'm going to say it again, because I think he hits it bullseye. Giving is the only proof that you and I have that the cancer of greed has not consumed rotting you from the inside out, and you don't even know you've got cancer. But if you can give, if you'd like to give, if you rejoice in giving to the Lord, then you can know that greed, the cancer, has not yet got you. So how do I get started? How do I become a giver? It starts by believing God, and then it must move to trusting God. I did not say believing in God. No, I said believing God. And then trusting in the promises of God. Believing God. And what? His promises. And specifically what? Well, let's focus on one verse. Verse 38. Again. Again. Give and you'll receive. Do you believe Him? If you believe that, you'd give. Why? Let me read it one more time. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. If you believe that, listen, if you believe that, you'd give. Don't tell me you wouldn't, because yes, you would. Because the whole concept of believing that is that you can't outgive God. If you believe God, if you believe God would take your gift, your offering to Him, press it down, shake it together, run it over, and pour it back, back into your lap, I can tell you right now what you'd do. You'd give to Him, to His ministry. It's really hard for me. Listen, I'll make somebody mad with this, and I'm sure. It's hard for me to imagine how anybody, including myself, would be able to look at God and say, I've given you my life when I am unable to give you 10% of my income. I don't see how they match. Uh, I've given you my life, but not this. Then did you give him your life? Really? Let's face the truth. 
It's true across everybody in this room. We are all selfish. We are born selfish. We don't have to work. Did you wake up one day and say, you know, today I'm going to be really selfish? You don't have to do that. It just comes naturally. We don't easily overcome this sickness called selfishness. What's one of the first words out of your child's mouth when they're growing up? Mine. I've raised three children. I now have two grandchildren with the third grandchild on the way. And if you want to see something really fun, get your camera out. Just put two grandsons next to each other and then take something away from one of them and get it to the other one and watch. Whoa. Now that's entertainment. And then when you're finished, send them home. Why? Because there's this selfishness that's wired inside of our nature. I don't want to let go of that which is mine. And the reason it's mine is because it's mine. I don't need another reason. It's mine. I remember teaching my children. As my kids were growing up, we make, I made a point to teach my children that that Janet and I had decided we were going to tithe, not on our net, but on our gross. And I wanted our kids to know it, and I wanted our kids to see it, and I wanted our kids to live it. But I remember when my children grew up, and I won't mention specifically which one it was, they first got their paycheck. And when they got their first paycheck, they realized that something, they said something like this, we'll give 10% of the total or 10% of the, after the government gets, the government gets that big part. And then, yeah, the 10% of the total. And then remember the next time you vote, who voted to take that much from the government. But here's the deal. It's real easy to watch somebody else tithe, but when it becomes you and that check becomes mine, how much of mine am I willing to let go of? It can't be about your parents' faith. Eventually, it'll have to become your own faith. So who came up with this whole 10% thing anyway? You think that's something I, I'm, I thought it'd be a good number? Did you know that tithing, which is 10%, appears in the Bible 500 years before the law of Moses? It actually appears in this first Israelite. His name is Abraham. Genesis 14. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram did something. 500 years before the time of Moses and the law, Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods he had recovered. Why? God is writing a spiritual law on the hearts of his people. Abraham's going to give 10% to Melchizedek. Then, then fast forward. We're still not to the law of Moses. Jacob has now left. He's fleeing from his brother Esau. He's running in this stairway to heaven. He sees that the angels are going up and coming down. And he has this encounter with God. And this is the result. Genesis 28. Then Jacob made a vow. By the way, Jacob's name would become Israel. Here's his vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing. You see what he's doing? He's believing God. If you will be with me, protect me, provide me in my physical needs, and if I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will certainly be my God. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. One-tenth of everything that he sends me, I will return to him as an offering. Both of these examples are before the law of Moses was even given to Israel. Hundreds of years before Moses was even born. When God told Moses that he was going to move into the community of Israel behind the veil, he said this, Leviticus 27. One-tenth of the produce of the land. Why is God saying this? One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from, from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to Him as holy. You know what the logical question is when you read that? Why does God want 
Is he running short this month? I said that in the first service, and some little kid back in the back said, No! Do you think God's running short this month? Why did he look at Israel? Why did he look at these people and said that the, the first fruits of your harvest belongs to me? Why? It's, it's not because he's running short, because giving 10% to God keeps us from forgetting that 100% is his. So I want to do something. I want to, uh, I, this is called a $30 illustration. So here's a $10 bill. I need a, an audience participant, Olivia. Come here. She didn't know I was going to do this, or she'd have probably left. So I want to do something today. I did in the first service, and I'm going to do again in the third service. I want to illustrate what a tithe is to God. I am going to hand you a $10 bill. And I want you to understand that you're not, you didn't earn it. You didn't ask me for it. I'm just going to give it to you as a gift because I love you and I want to do something good for you. So I'm going to give this to you with one expectation. And it's not a requirement. It's just an expectation. The expectation is sometime in the future when you decide, you're going to come and give me a dollar back. Just one dollar. I don't want the ten dollars back. It's a gift. I just like to have a dollar. And by you giving me that dollar back sometime in the future, you know what you'll be acknowledging? You'll be acknowledging that this was a gift from me to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. It's not because you're clever enough. It's just that I decided I'm going to pick you and give this to you. But by giving me a dollar later, it's an act of thanksgiving, acknowledging that all ten was actually mine until I gave it to you. Would you accept this $10? Thank you. Thank you. If she takes that offer, and she did, and smiled all the way to the chair, <laughs> she knows this for sure. All $10 belong to me. And what a deal. What a deal. That you mean that I'll give her 10 and she just gives me one? Would you not take that? Who wouldn't take that? I'll tell you who wouldn't take it. The people who believe that the 10 is theirs all along. A man won $50 million in the lottery. But his family was afraid to tell him because he had a bad heart. Instead, they called the preacher, asked the preacher, will you go and tell him? The preacher said, Tom, I've got some good news. You've just won $50 million in the lottery. Tom said, thank God. I'm going to give 50% to the church. And the preacher dropped dead. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is real life. I've had people in the church in my 17 years here, I've had people in the church who have come to me. I think of two or three of them specifically. They'll be mad at me later. And they've said, Preacher, if I ever hit the lottery, Preacher, if I ever hit the lottery, I'll pay off that church debt. And let me just give you an update. We just finished our 2017 budget just uh, this past week. And if everything stays on schedule, nothing changes, that about 10 months from now, there will be no church debt. This building, all this complex will be paid in full less than six years after we moved in. But you know how this place has been paid off? By people who tithe. And here's the reality. If you're in the room today and you think in your mind, or maybe you like have it said to me, if I win the lottery, I'll, I'll pay off that debt. I don't believe you. Because here's the reality. If you're not already right now tithing on what you have, it is highly unlikely you will ever tithe on what you do not have. Because you know what that is? It's called hot air. And 10% of hot air is still hot air. It doesn't spin well. Tithing is how we will pay off this building. And tithing is how we will fulfill the God's calling of the Great Commission. 
Do you realize, do, most of you don't, do you realize that this past year, 2016, because of people who tithe, who bring their first fruits to the church, that we as a church have sent out just short of a quarter of a million dollars to ministries outside of this building. From the local food pantry to some lady who walks in and she's in crisis and she can't pay her electric bill this month, to a uh, food pan to a, to a hospital in Zimbabwe, Africa, and to a special needs ministry in India. God is using the tithes of His people put together to influence and shine the light of Christ, not just in Lawrenceburg or Anderson County, but in many places around the world. Why? Because some people decided they would believe God. And this church, 16%, last year, 16% of every dollar that came into here, we sent out. Why? Because give and you will receive. We believe Him. Give, so we give it away. We find people who are, who are in need, who are sharing the hope and the gospel of Christ, and we give it to them so that they can then, they can have some to give away. And then they'll have some to give away and then they'll have some to give away and God will multiply and God will multiply and God will multiply tithing is like nursery workers listen carefully tithing is like nursery workers and children's ministry if everyone did their part there would never be a shortage of anything in the church I know our children's ministry has a display set up out there. You know what the reality is? If everybody who was capable signed up to volunteer in the children's ministry and in the nursery, nobody would have to have very much service in a year. The rotation would be so wide, it wouldn't be a burden on anyone. And the same is tithing. But the reality is most people don't. And that leaves the rest to carry an extra heavy burden because many won't take their turn or their share in the ministry tithing what would happen if everybody in the church tithed? so this is my main concern about preaching this type of sermon today and i do have this concern some of you might think this is the prosperity gospel and you think that giving is for the sake of getting and giving is for the sake of getting rich I heard your testimony, Terry, and wow, it's pretty incredible that you went from that number to that number because all because you decided to tithe on your gross. Wow, I know how to get rich. Some of you might be, even be guilted today into giving. Maybe you feel guilt because you're not. But if you give with a stinking attitude, I'm going to tell you, God still knows your heart. So how and why should we give? I want to suggest to you today that you give like a farmer thinks. In fact, my real point to all of this is about what I'm about to say. I suggest that you give and you create in your mind that giving is like a farmer thinks. I told you that the Bible gave great financial advice. When you get and when you believe what I'm about to tell you, you will finally grasp God's truth about money. Because here it comes. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. I want you to think about your offerings and your gifts to God as seeds. You didn't make those seeds. You don't have any idea how to make seeds. And reality is you don't know how and I don't know how to make seeds grow. I read a story several years ago where they found some seeds in an Egyptian burial ground. And they took those seeds. Thousands of years they've been in that tomb. And they took those seeds out and put them in the soil and they sprouted. How? Nobody knows. But I want you to visualize your life as God giving you seeds. And you're a farmer. You don't know how seeds grow. You don't even know how to make a seed. Nobody knows how to make a seed. But there are some seeds right now today in your hands. 
Everyone in this room, I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you the truth. Everybody in this room, you've got some seeds. They're in your hands. And the question is, what are you going to do with those seeds? Don't say you don't have any because some got more seeds than others, but everybody's got some seeds. How do you expect to have a large and bountiful crop? The crop represents your future. How do you expect to have a large and bountiful crop if you never sow those seeds? If you never release those seeds, you never let go of those seeds into your future. You must let them go before they can grow. Giving is to let go of the seeds that God gave you. They're not your seeds. They're His seeds. And He gave them to us farmers to sow them. And then He says, Give or sow and you'll receive a crop, a harvest, a big one if you'll sow them. Some of you have struggled financially your whole life. And if you would look back, if you'd be honest with yourself, you'd look back, you'd come to this conclusion. You did not, you have not ever sown seeds into your own future. You ate those seeds. The seeds that should have been given away. The seeds that should have been offered as an offering to the one who gave you the seeds. You ate them. You consumed your future crop. And don't have a grimace on your face while you sow the seeds, farmers. You're going to get sour and a bitter harvest. Let me put it all together. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your hearts how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives what? Cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. What, 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 what? If you're generous when you're sowing the seed, I'm going to sow some seeds today. Let's go to church. Hallelujah. God will give generously and he will provide for you. Don't give under pressure. Don't give reluctantly. Because you know what? When you're doing that, you know what you're really saying? Maybe you don't know you're saying it. What you're saying to God is, they're my seeds. And God says, you have no clue. They're my seeds, and I gave them to you. And I want you to sow them into your future. I want you to sow them into somebody else's future. But you've got to let go of these seeds, because they're from me. And then he says, verse, verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll, be able, then you'll always have everything you need, and plenty left over to share with others. Do you believe that? That's life-changing. Verse 9, as the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Sow those seeds with a cheerful heart. Consider it a blessed opportunity that you've got seeds to sow. Sow into your future. Sow into somebody else's future. Sow those seeds well, and he'll give you some more seeds to sow. Listen, here's the spiritual truth. If you'll get them from God, acknowledge they're from God, and then turn them over to God, he'll give you some more to sow. And then you'll get rid of them, he'll give you some more seeds to sow. In fact, what I've learned, my experience is, the more you're able to let go, the more you're able to receive and let go. And then he'll give you more to be able to let go of, and it just goes and goes and goes. If you see somebody that's out of seeds, what do we do? Do you go up to them and say, you seed eater? You should have sown your seeds instead of eating them. Is that what we do? No, that's not what we do. If you see someone that's out of seeds, give them some of your seeds and encourage them to sow them. Don't eat them. Sow them. Give them some of your seeds. You got extras? Next verse, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmers. And then the bread to eat. In the same way, He will provide an increase. He will provide and increase your resources 
and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Do you believe it? Verse 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gift to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. What gift? These seeds. Too wonderful for words. I like to pray a prayer blessing upon married couples when I do their wedding. I usually stand right here and I'll call everybody to this point and I'll say, I want to pray a prayer blessing upon these two. And one of the prayers of blessing that I offer always at every wedding is this. I pray that God would prosper the works of their hands. But then I always say something. I always say, I pray that you not prosper the works of their hands so they'll have more stuff. No, I would not pray that for anybody. But so they will have more to give away for those in need. That's the blessing. There's always going to be someone around you that doesn't know about this God seed farming thing called giving. Why don't you start farming this way? I'm looking at the church today. I'm going to ask you, why don't you start farming this way? What do you got to lose? Maybe you've tried it your way your whole life. Why don't you try it his way? And then after you get your first crop and your mouth falls open in all, tell someone else about this wonderful seed thing that God offers his farmers. Proverbs 3.9 Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. What would that look like in modern America? What would that look like? Spiritually speaking, what does that really mean? This money 101, the seed sowing revelation from God's Word, I want you to know something. It is physical and it is also spiritual. It is both. He will physically bless you and He will spiritually bless you. Don't measure either. Listen, here's my warning to you. He will spiritually and physically bless you, but do not let the world measure what success means. Measure it on God's scale, not the world's scale. That would be a tragic error. You know why? Do you know how much I made that first year when I came here full-time and had quit my job in the business world? You know what my salary was? It's also on that Social Security statement. I went from $212,000 in 2002 to 34000 in 2003. And I had three kids under the age of 16 with a stay-at-home wife. The world would call that financial disaster. I call it success. I am a rich man. Now I'll tell you, since that time in 2002, the church has grown and my salary has grown as well. The church takes good care of me and takes good care of the staff here. And for that I give thanks to God who has given us many seeds. But I can tell you, if I only looked at those two numbers, 212 went to 34. To the world, it would look like a catastrophic loss. But I'm going to tell you, 15 years ago, my family sowed some seeds in a field in Anderson County. He is faithful. He is faithful. I give a testimony. You know why? Because they weren't my seeds. I get it. They weren't my seeds. Those seeds were given to me by God. And we decided to sow them instead of eating them or keeping them for ourselves. 
The harvest of those seeds has been beyond my wildest dreams. If you'd have asked me in 2002 when I was stepping out of the business world and coming to this little church that had 27 people up in that first building, if you'd have asked me that you thought one day in the future there'd be 800 people at a Sunday morning worship, I'd have said, you're nuts. This verse I'm about to read to you is usually ends, closes my prayer time each day. It's Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Because here's the conclusion today. We only have a short time to prepare for a very long time. You and I are in a wait-a-minute moment. We only have a short time. I don't know how many seasons of sowing and planting and reaping we're going to get. I don't know. I'm not sure I have another 15 years in me. I'm being honest. I don't know if I've got another 15 years in me, but I can tell you that'll be up to the one who sows seeds and gives seeds. My testimony today is of God's faithfulness. My family has been spiritually and physically blessed by the God we have put our trust in. I proclaim to you today, He is faithful. Would I do it again? I've had a lot of people I used to work with in the business world and some in the church, and they'll ask me the same question 15 years later. Would you do it again? Yes. Yes. Why? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You understand what's at stake here? It's not about how much money you've got in the bank or what your house looks like or what kind of car you're going to drive or what kind of financial security you might be deceived into thinking you actually have. This is about life. This is about life, eternal life. I didn't say it was easy. It's not easy. It's unnatural. What? To trust God, it's unnatural. I get it. It's easier to trust yourself. But it's easier than the hard way. Because the hard way just leaves you walking in circles out in the wilderness until you die. One last time. I want to read the foundation of this Money 101. Luke 6.38. Give and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. But I got to tell you, listen, listen. I got to read it this way because I don't know how to read it another way, but what if you don't? Given, you'll receive, but what if you don't? Who loses? God? God will still be God. You know who loses? You. Because your future is coming. And you never sowed a single seed into your future. And you want a harvest out there, but you never sowed a seed. What's at stake? Everything. Your soul, your eternity. If you're sitting in this room today and you think this sermon's about money, you still don't get it. This is not about money. You know what this is about? Believing. This is about believing. It's not about the physical, it's about the spiritual. This issue reveals the reality of the human heart. Money reveals the reality of the human heart. You know what money does? It reveals the reality of what you are really on the inside. Not who you think you are on the outside, but who you really are on the inside. Money just reveals it. The ability to give or not to give is just revealing who you really are. Let me prove it. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up a cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, I'm going to tell you, let me replace the word seeds. If you try to hang on to your seeds, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. But what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Can I ask you a, a financial question? What would you take for your soul today? What would you sell it for? 10% of your income? What would you sell your soul for? What would the benefit or the profit be if you gained the whole world and you lost your soul? Here's the reality. Selfish people, they don't take up crosses. Selfish people, they don't deny themselves. No, no, that's the opposite. Selfish people, they don't sow seeds. Can't let go of your control? It's a question. Can't let go of your seeds? Can't let go of your future? Can't let go of yourself? Can't let go of, of that chair in front of you when the invitation song is sang? Can't let go, but you must let go in order to give. You cannot give until you let go. And you cannot live until you surrender. And surrender is letting go and acknowledging that it is His breath in my lungs. And He's offered me and you a chance to breathe His air forever. This is not about money. You can never give until you let go. This is about your heart. Do you remember those three stupid questions I asked when I started today? Maybe they're not so stupid after all, but very much within your reach because of the very, a very giving God. Do you want financial freedom? Do you want to not worry about money? Do you want a financially secure future? Do you get it? After all this talk, do you get it? Really? This is the final test to see if you get it. As I read this, we're all going to take a test together and then I'll close. Romans 8, 15. Here's the test. Do you get it? Here it comes. So, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received, notice the word received, received. Who are you receiving it from? God. Instead, you received God's spirit. When he adopted you as his own children, now we call him Abba, Father. That means Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm what? That we are God's children. And since we are his children, here it comes, here it comes. Since we are his children, we are his what? Say that loud. Heirs. What? Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also be able to share in His suffering. Here it is. I am a child of God and my daddy is rich. Do you hear me? I am a child of God and my daddy is rich. My daddy, my daddy has always been rich and my daddy will always be rich. And I am his son. Everybody in my daddy's family is rich. Am I bragging a little bit? Yeah, I am. Everybody in my daddy's family is rich, though some of them are suffering right now for a little while. And did I mention he's my daddy? He's my father. The word Abba. I'm adopted. I get it. I didn't belong in this family. He adopted me into this family, but he treats me like a firstborn son. And all that he has is now mine. I am his heir. And here it comes. Here it comes. And because I get it, I can say this. And all that I have is his. I get it. Do you get it? All that he has is mine. I'm adopted into his family. I am his heir. And because I get it, I can say today, all that I have is his. Can you say that? Will you say it out loud with me? All that I have today is His. Do it again. All that I have today is His. He doesn't need your money. I talked to him this morning. He's fine. I'll ask Chad to come out. You know what he wants? You. He wants you. He wants you to believe him. 
And He wants you to be His heir. And He wants you to believe and walk in the promises that He's offered. And all that I have is His. Is that you? Do you get it? Maybe today is that day that you decide that you believe God. And that everything you have is actually His. And you want to then return the offering that He really wants you. The invitation's over. Stand. I'm giving you my heart and all that is within. Lay 